Hi, I'm Andrew, and this is the Daily Keenon podcast about today's global crisis. The coronavirus pandemic is dramatically disrupting not only our own daily lives, but also society itself. This show features conversations with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers about the deeper economic, political, and technological consequences of the pandemic. It's the daily podcast trying to make long-term sense out of the chaos of today's global crisis. One thing the pandemic seems to have done is simplify our lives. Um, cities have been simplified. Pollution has been gone away with. There's no traffic. There's no office. There's no work for many of us. Uh, everything has become increasingly l- regular and slimmed down. So the world is more simple. Is that good or bad? One person who's become an expert both on simplicity and a term that she defines as social health is my old friend, um, Julia Hobsbawm. She's a best-selling author and uh, the self-proclaimed expert on social health. She's also the author of a brand new book, very timely new book, The Simplicity Principle. Julia, are we experiencing now in the pandemic the birth of a new kind of simplicity? Hi, Andrew. Um, I think we are experiencing a moment of rather brutal simplicity, aren't we, with the pandemic? Life, as you said, has shuddered to a halt, normal life as we know it. The irony is that a lot of people, myself included, a lot of people were craving a simplicity before this happened. They were feeling that modern life, digital life, professional life was way too busy, too complicated. We saw the upsurge in the mindfulness movement, the minimalism movement, the 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 re- rejection or the beginnings of a serious rejection of of, of overconsumption. And yet, everybody is now very freaked out by the fact that life as we knew it has stopped and we're confronted with uh, you know, lockdown. But it's allowing us time to reflect and reset. And even though my book was finished before the pandemic, it turns out that the lessons of it, and it's quite a practical book as well as a philosophical book, the lessons can be learned during this pandemic, which is simplicity above all is focusing on what actually matters. And it turns out that an awful lot of what we thought mattered doesn't matter. So from that point of view, simplicity is coming in very much into the spotlight, which pleases me because I'm a campaigner for simplicity. I think complexity is not all it's cracked up to be. Uh, In your last book, Fully Connected, which I actually blurbed, it was a great read, uh, you invent this term you call social health. What does it mean? Well, I think that we are experiencing quite a lot of dysfunction around the way we connect um, and that that has been ushered in, you know, at its most simplistic by the Internet era where we are always on, where we are experiencing, um, to use a health term, an infobesity of endless excessive information that can't be trusted, that can't really be turned off. And it, it just occurred to me that. Um, given that there were all sorts of signs of dysfunction and poor health 
in the economy, in the working population, um, the uh, American economy experienced up to $300 billion were lost to, to the cost of stress alone. Now, those numbers seem very small compared to the cost of the coronavirus, but you know, an annual cost to the economy of stress was, was, a, was a marker, a symptom of dysfunction. 60% of working days in the European Union were, were lost to stress. And, and, and yet, we didn't really have a narrative or a definition of what connected behavior in a digital era meant. And that's what social health was defined as, is how do we successfully, productively, creatively, meaningfully connect to other humans when almost everything we do is now mediated through a social medium? And we do have a much clearer narrative and understanding of what physical and mental health is, uh, obviously. And, and the World Health Organization's definition of health includes the words social well-being. And yet I felt there was no real debate, real discussion, or certainly no practices and strategies for what social health means. So at one end of the spectrum, it obviously means your relationship to technology and how you are on and offline. And things were a bit skewed in the middle of the lockdown because, of course, we're all deeply, deeply dependent on um, technology and, you know, forget tech lash, all is forgiven. But the reality is most of us have become way too dependent on a digital life and not anything like as resilient or strong uh, on our offline selves. And and that's a problem for all sorts of reasons. But social health isn't just about social media and social um, use of digital. It's really about the functioning of humans when they connect with each other. And this is when I also wanted to look at the health in terms of, say, the neuroscience and the psychology and the behavioral economics of why is it that human beings are still not brilliantly good at harnessing their social selves when the very definition of the human is to be social? And so all this stuff has interested me for a long time. Fully Connected was a book that looked at social health as, as a definition to put it out there. And then I began to be much more interested in a in a practical drill down, which is what the simplicity principle is. How do you have social health in practice if the world is very complicated, very convoluted? And how do you simplify it so that it is socially healthy? Aren't we complex? Why? What's so bad about complexity? <laughs> We're incredibly complex. Uh, and 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 much of that is is good. Um the human brain is probably the most complex uh, organism to have ever ever evolved, really. Um, but the reality is that the human soul and the human psyche uh, has got quite limit, limited capabilities um, to process and handle the complexity of the super fast, excessive world that we've created with all of our brilliance. And that carries with it a risk of overload, of burnout, of tune-out, of miscommunication, of error. And so for, um, for instance, the working memory, the cognitive limit that humans can process is, is very limited to about seven items. The, you know, the George Miller paper of, uh, of um, 1956 hasn't ever really been challenged to my knowledge that says we have a working memory of about seven items. Now, that is in contrast to 
hundreds of billions of trillions. You've written about this, Andrew. You're the expert on on the absolute scale and wealth of information that is cascading into our brains. And so we need to moderate and mediate that complexity in order to survive as humans. And that's really what I'm trying to concern ourselves with, is how do we reconnect to the old values of simplicity, which, by the way, have been markers of the very ancient requirement for civilization. You know, Aristotle talked about eudaimonia, the, the concept of flourishing. Um, William of Ockham, the Franciscan friar in the 14th century in Britain, um, coined that phrase that has become known as Ockham's razor that you, you know, why why have excess plurality? You know, keep it simple, stupid was the famous phrase in the Lockheed Skunk Works, which I've used Maya Angelou's paraphrasing to keep it simple, sweetie. In other words, the desire for simplicity, the valuing of um, cut through is there, but I think we forgot it. I think we've drunk a bit too much complexity Kool-Aid. And if I may say so, I think we're seeing this in the way in, in, in the policy area in response to the coronavirus crisis, you know. So, you, so, so in your book, you, you, you lay out very concretely six steps towards clarity in the new book, The Simplicity Principle. Julia, very simply, using <laughs> the pun, and relatively quickly, go over those six steps, a, a minute on each, just to, just well, to give our listeners an idea of how we can become more simple and okay. how we can make our lives uh, richer in clarity. So simple um, is the operative word and the number six is the operative number because, as I've said, it falls within the cognitive limit of seven. And actually, in mathematical terms, it happens to be the perfect number. It's a very beautiful organizing number. And um, I, 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 written it really as a as much as anything else as a as a book that can be practically applied. So so six is not an accidental number. There's a lot in the book about why the number six is so resonant in culture, in nature, in sport even. Um, and the principle that overrides the whole book is keep it simple, is simplicity is the key to unlocking the uh, muddle and the miscommunication. So what would be the six thematic areas? Well, I've chosen six, but my readers are already writing in saying, oh, I loved what you said about clarity, but I didn't re relate to what you said about individuality. I want people to experiment and define their own sense of simplicity, working around that magic number. But the six areas that I believe are to be um, conquered and mastered and managed in order to gain some simplicity, whether by the way you're an individual or you're running an organization or you are in government, are as follows. Um, number one is clarity. Clarity is the big one. You know, if you can control attention, being wandering, if you can make decisions and avoid decision fatigue and so on and so forth. The second area is individuality because I think that we must remember that no one person's circumstances are identical to anybody else's. And so what works simply for you may not be what works simply for somebody else. And I think that groupthink is a very dangerous thing. So 
the more you can connect with who you are individually, the better, actually. It's a very good cut through. The third is the question of resetting, that we need to have some space. And this is possibly the silver lining in this current crisis, although goodness knows so many people are suffering horrifically, economically, psychologically, and so on. So I don't want to naively say there's really an upside to the coronavirus crisis, but possibly this moment of reset, space to think, to regroup is vital and is an absolutely essential route to simplicity. And then there are the three ingredients I've written about before that make up social health. I call it the knot, knowledge, networks, and time. And what that means is that you do have a system, just like we have been told to have five fruit and vegetables a day, um, which is a bit of a, a construct. It's not It's not empirically the case that you need five fruit and veg a day, but it, it, it's, it's stuck in our minds. I think we need to have maybe five or six types of information that we take in a day rather than these endless rivers and scrolls. Whoever invented the infinite scroll, Andrew, I think did society me. Don't blame me. quite a big disservice. So information and knowledge is, is crucial. We've got to get a handle on it. We've got to manage it. We've got to control it. Um, networks. Look, aren't we experiencing this now in lockdown, in shutdown, in isolation? If you are alone, if you are isolated, you are impoverished. If you can connect to a diverse, rich, again, here's a health analogy, nutritious form of connections, you are better off. And finally, time. We are short of time. We are short of years in our lives. We are short of hours in the day, in the week. And we we don't control our time. Most Mostly, even now with our Zoom meeting schedules, most of the time people are outsourcing control over what they do. And we don't outsource what we put in our bodies. We have a lot more control over what we put in our bodies. So not just time in terms of the calendar and the diary, but time frame, timeline. One of the things that the book challenges uh, people to think about long term is, you know, what is it with the quarterly results? What is it with the political cycles? These don't do us any favors. So at its simplest, I say, think in sixes. Choose your six things that matter to you. Divide up the next six weeks, the next six months. Don't overfill your inbox. Don't reply all to more than six people. But also think about these areas of knowledge, of networks, of time, of reset, of individuality and clarity and say, does it work for me? Does it land with me that if I had a semblance of strategy around these things, I could get stuff done better and more easily. It's really, in the end, what I'm about is, is I, I like the P word, Andrew, productivity. Lots of people shy away from it. They don't think it's a very groovy word. I think productivity is a really important word. One of the things, uh, one of the areas in the book that I found particularly interesting were your examples of individuals, of real people who have... Uh, achieve the simplicity principle, maybe not formally, they don't describe it as that, but people you've identified as being models for all of us. Perhaps you might say uh, one or two things about them. I know Arianna Huffington was in it, uh, Greta Thunberg, and a couple of other people. 
Yes, people like Satish Kumar, uh, who undertook the peace march from Washington to Moscow uh, in the 1970s, and um, Massimo Buturo, the chef who uh, really revolutionized it, modern Italian cuisine using using simplicity, um, and and my friend Jessica Morris, who is a GBM glioblastoma survivor of cancer, the deadliest form of cancer. And she set up mm. a patient data gathering app um, and nonprofit called Our Brain Bank, which I'm a trustee of in the UK. And all of these people come from very diverse backgrounds. You don't get more diverse than Greta Thunberg, a, a young woman with autism, changing the entire way the planet looks at sustainability to Ariana Huffington, um, who has really put the marker down, actually, in a big way uh, globally for the way we look at well-being and so on. What they all have in common is that they embody the values that simple is, in a way, um, the secret source. And and people challenge me and say, well, you know, simple, it's simplistic, isn't it? That's the big charge in politics. You know, Donald Trump and... Uh, and and Boris Johnson, you know, the slogans that, that get Brexit done and um, make America great again. But there's something about populism that is popular. And it's those lessons of simplicity. Steve Jobs knew it with Apple. You know, it's the lessons of simplicity that I would like us to apply to the very complex reality. And I think we're overlooking it. And the inspiration for my book actually was Maya Angelou, who I great privilege and pleasure of working with for, for several years, a long time ago. And she used to say, keep it simple, sweetie. And she had great cut through. This was a poet. This was a campaigner. This was an activist. She she became one of the most uh, important cultural figures in America. And she understood the power of simplicity. Artists do. Good businesses do. Great politicians do. So I think that we are enthralled to progress as as defined by complexity. AI has been the great love affair, you know, that the human is not as important as the machine. Well, the human is fundamental to society. Of course, we want science. Of course, we want technology. Of course, we want all of it. But the basic, simple truths are the ones that we all care about. And I think this moment with the coronavirus is one of the reasons why this this book of mine is resonating and you've been kind enough to ask me onto your show, Andrew, is people understand that in the end, nothing matters more than very simple things. Who do you love? Who loves you? How are you going to feed yourself? How are you going to live? And these things should matter to all of us all of the time. Julia, and not everyone will know this, but uh, your father was the perhaps the best known historian of the 20th century, Eric Hobsbawm, and a remarkably influential man on the left. You mentioned Trump and Johnson uh, leveraging simplicity for their own political benefit. Do you think progressives and the left need to understand also how to package simplicity? I do, actually. Um, I interviewed the political editor of The Economist on my own podcast, which is called The Simplicity Principle. And he, he said that he thinks that politicians hold on to power and, and retain power 
through um, through preaching complexity. It's not a very democratic thing to say to to the people that you serve, oh, it's a bit complicated. And populists understand that. And I I don't believe that the populist agenda and the right wing agenda um, has the right to colonize the the benefits of simplicity. I think the benefits of simplicity need to be adopted and adapted by everybody who wants to make progress and make change. I mean, I I regard myself as rather politically polygamous, Andrew. I don't identify with the left wing or the right wing. You know, on one day of the week, I'm a very, very bleeding heart liberal, but in other areas, I'm I'm probably a small C conservative. But but I do believe that what people want is clarity, is truth, is to feel in their gut that what they're being given by their leaders is right. And that is simplicity. And anyone who can give them that sense of recognition is going to win. Finally, Julia, uh, and, and I ask this of all my guests on the show because we're all stuck at home. We have lots of opportunity to read books that we wouldn't normally have had time to read. Uh, apart from your own really interesting book, The Simplicity Principle, could you suggest uh, one book which somehow captures your notion of the simplicity principle that that grasps it? Would it be a religious text? Might it be something historic or something more contemporary? Oh, my goodness, you've really put me on the spot because I'm reading so many different things. I mean, for me, beautiful ideas are a form of simplicity. Um, I'm actually reading a very interesting book that my son, uh, who's an anthropology student, put me on to. Um, It's Leadership by Simon Weston, a critical text. And, you know, I am really interested in bad leadership and and the deification of leadership. And I think that if if leadership were better done, um, our lives would be a lot more simple. So for me, great ideas are a form of simplicity because it pops that bubble of ideas and creativity and you think, yes, that works for me. so I, I am reading a lot. I am thinking a lot. I certainly don't think that simplicity is all about candles and calm. I think that's part of it. But I think simplicity is about cut through. And I really think in this moment, we need that cut through of complexity. You've been listening to Keynote, hosted by me, Andrew Key. Make sure to join us the rest of this season as we explore how to fix capitalism. Make sure to visit us at lithub.com where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. While you're at it, if you enjoyed what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would also help too. Today's episode was produced and edited by Justin Alvarez and the team at LitHub Radio. See you next week, and thanks so much for listening.